Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's no one like Jesus this morning? Well, what a joy it is to be back with you this morning. I am so um, looking forward to picking up where Bill left off with us last week. I'm grateful for Bill and thankful that he led well and preached well during, during my absence. I know that as he started his sermons last week, he thanked me for giving him the subject on adultery and divorce, but I didn't give it to him. The Lord did. It just kind of is how, our as we walk through the book of Matthew together, that's just how it all fell into place. So um, thank you, Bill. This morning, we're continuing in our Matthew study. Jesus, as he was calling his first disciples, said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The book of Matthew is a disciple-making book. Just as Jesus was forming and shaping his disciples some 2,000 years ago, whenever he sat on top of that sermon mount and taught them, My prayer is that Jesus will teach us this morning, that we will allow his word to transform us, transform our mind, transform our hearts, transform our souls, just transform every aspect of our lives. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a call to righteousness, a call to right living. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. If you recall back several months ago when we walked through the Beatitudes together, this word, um, it began with blessed. Each of the Beatitudes began with this word blessed. Blessed, when translated from Greek, means happy. When translated from Latin, means blessing or approval upon. Fundamentally, is the idea of being approved. Jesus begins teaching his disciples and telling them that this is the kind of life that God approves of. That approval theme runs throughout God's Word. It runs throughout the book of Matthew. It runs throughout the Gospels. This Word is our guide to right living. You want to know how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and your strength? Read this Word. You want to know how to love your spouse? Read this word. You want to know how to love your children well? Read this word. Serve God well? Read this word. Reach the lost? Read this word. Practice integrity in every area of your life? Read this word. This word is our standard for living. So it is our guide to right living. It is the the source in which we are made into disciples. And so let me just challenge you as we walk through this study, as we continue to walk through this study, let us find ourselves sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing him to mold us, shape us, and transform us. One writer, while making reference to our focal passage this morning, said this, place yourself for a moment in Jesus' audience. You are a Jew And for years you have watched the scribes and the Pharisees meticulously keep the law, or what you thought was the law. And you knew that as it was said, if only two men are allowed to enter heaven, then one will certainly be a teacher of the law and the other a Pharisee. No one else was even considered a viable candidate 
in comparison. The need to surpass the righteousness of the religious professionals would have come as a total shock. In Matthew 5, 21 through 48, Jesus proceeds to illustrate what he meant by a surpassing righteousness, explaining the righteousness of the Pharisees was only skin deep. Jesus begins to explain that God's righteousness called for true heart conformity to God's holy law. Not merely external and ceremonial, but real and spiritual. Using six illustrations, Jesus explains what true righteousness from a new heart should look like. And Bill began walking us through these six teaching points two weeks ago. Jesus made it clear. It is not enough to just not murder. Jesus said, do not be angry with your brother. It is not enough to not just commit adultery. Jesus said, do not look at a woman lustfully. Jesus also made it clear that your marriage is not expendable because life gets hard. And that's what Bill has walked us through over the past few weeks. And this morning, we're going to dive into the fourth um, Fourth teaching point, on the heels of Jesus preaching on adultery and divorce, both of which occur only when one's vows are broken, the Lord directly addresses vows and oaths. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin this morning looking at verse 33. So we'll cover this morning Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 33. This is what we read. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. As we will see this morning, kingdom citizens live different. A child of God lives different than a non Christian. Notice point number one this morning. It's this, the perception of truth. The perception of truth. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it ever acceptable to lie? Without the raising of hands this morning, ask yourself that question. Is it ever acceptable to lie? If we were to do a poll this morning, um, some of you would say yes. Others of you would say no. Um, And then some of you would say, well, it's kind of a gray area. It it just depends on the circumstance. So um, a few weeks ago, as I was preparing for this message, I asked my wife this question. And being the good preacher's wife that she is, she obviously said, no, it is not ever acceptable to lie. And so I asked her this question. I said, imagine that you and I lived at a different time or we lived in a different place. And where we lived, it was against the law to be a Christian. If you are a Christian, then you will certainly face the death penalty. 
And so I asked her this question. Imagine that someone came to our door, and they knocked on the door, and they come in, and they say, are there any in this home that profess Christ as Lord? Knowing that we had hidden Connor and Caitlin in a hidden compartment in our home, we tell them, and they asked, besides us, is anyone else in the home? And we say, no, there is no one else in the home. My question to her was, is it acceptable in that case to tell a lie? If we don't lie, then not only are we going to lose our lives, but so will Connor and Caitlin. They will lose their lives as well. So think about that question. How would you respond if someone knocked on your door today and the penalty for being a Christian was death? Would you proclaim that you were a Christian? And what would you do in the event of your children? A great biblical example that people frequently refer to when making a reference to the acceptability of certain lies is Rahab. Um, Was Rahab not commended for her faith by God? You know, Rahab lied, but in Scripture, she is commended for her faith. Our justification for what she did is this. Had she not hidden the spies, the kings would have arrested, the king would have arrested the Israelites, and God's plans to use the Jews to conquer Jericho, as well as the promised land, would have been in jeopardy. If the city of Jericho did not fall, the nation of Israel might not have ever claimed the promised land. If they had not advanced beyond the wilderness, then they could still to this day be a people with no place to call home. Is that a true statement? Was the Israelites conquering the promised land based upon a lie that Rahab told? Of course not. To say that the Israelites claimed the promised land based on a lie told by Rahab is to question God's sovereignty. Rahab did not secure the promised land for the Israelites. God secured the promised land for the Israelites. I like what John MacArthur said about this story. He said the lie was never the point of Rahab's story. There is no need for clever rationalization to justify her lie. Scripture never commends her lie. Rahab is never applauded for her ethics. Rahab is a positive example of faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.31 explicitly commends Rahab's hospitality to the spies and nothing more. In the moment she lied, her faith was newborn weak and in need of nurture and growth. Her knowledge of Israel's God was meager. It is likely that she had never met worshipers of God before that night. She probably had no understanding of the value he put on truthfulness. On top of that, she was a product of a corrupt culture where ethics were virtually non-existent. Lying was a way of life in her society, especially in her profession. The way she responded, is just what we might expect for a brand new believer under such circumstances. God never approves of Rahab's lie. He approves of Rahab, but not her lie. For you and I to justify that there is an acceptable time to lie is wrong. 
Scripture makes it abundantly clear that it is wrong. If God wanted the spies to be protected within the walls of Jericho, he certainly did not need a prostitute's help for that. Folks, just as ethics were a problem within the land of Israel thousands of years ago, ethics are a serious problem within our world today, aren't they? In 1994, there was a book that came out called The Day America Told the Truth. And if statistics are to be believed... 91% of us lie regularly. 91% of us in this room lie regularly. Pastor Stephen Cole pointed out another survey of 20,000 middle and high schoolers indicated that 92% admitted to lying to their parents in the previous year. And 73% said they told lies weekly. Despite these admissions, 91% of all responders say they were satisfied with their own ethics and character. We have a real ethics problem in our world today, don't we? We have a real character problem. Our kids are lying. We are lying. It's just part of who we are today, isn't it? I mean, think about all the platforms today that we have to, to, to use to lie. I mean, social media, great example of that. 20 years ago, if I was going to brag about the latest fish that I caught from Lake Levon, I could stand up here in front of you, and I could say that that fish was this big. But because of social media, I can show you a picture of some buddies of mine um, that helped me catch the latest um, fish from Lake Levon. And so social media allows us now to steal somebody else's big fish, post it on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever else is out there, and claim that it is ours. I mean, think about um, just the platform Um, Think about those within our society that are constantly lying to us. I mean, I I really believe that for the most part, when a politician's lips are moving, that means they're lying to us. When we turn on the television and and we watch the the latest news, we don't know if they're telling us the truth or if they're telling us a lie. Our law enforcement they lie to us. Preachers week in and week out stand up in front of their congregations, and they lie to their congregations. They lie about the fish that they caught from Lake Levant and different things like that. You know, just this past summer, one of our Olympic champions, Ryan Lockie, was caught up in a lie. He claimed he and some teammates were robbed at gunpoint. Al Roker and Billy Bush, several days after the event, once it was determined that he did indeed lie, got into it on their morning show. Some of you may have seen this or you saw the clip that went viral. Roker um, um, said that he lied. Billy Bush would never admit that he had lied. Roker said he lied. He lied to you. He lied to Matt Lauer. He lied to his mom. He left his teammates hanging while he skedaddled. There was no robbery. There was no pullover. He lied. Billy, throughout this rant that Al was doing, was trying to in, interrupt him. He would not admit that, that Ryan lied. What he said was he embellished the truth. Y'all remember that? 
Y'all hear that? Y'all remember when that went viral? He embellished the truth. He embellished the truth on national TV. He embellished the truth when he spoke to the authorities. He embellished the truth when he spoke to his mom. That is what's wrong with our society today. You and I do not break the ninth commandment anymore. What we do is we embellish the truth. The reason Jesus spoke to the disciples about making vows was because the Jews of their day had figured out a way to embellish the truth. When a person made a vow that they did not intend to keep, they did not swear by the Lord, which they were permitted to do, but they swore by something that God was directly linked to. Jesus, in verse 33, makes reference to several Old Testament passages when he said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Notice some of the verses that Jesus made reference to, one of those being Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In Numbers 32, we read, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God's word was very clear. If you make a vow and you swear by the Lord, then you better keep your word. Just like we have done in our day. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day had figured out a way to make vows without really meaning what it was that they were saying. You know, I remember growing up um, that I was pretty good at embellishing the truth or making um, a, a vow sound pretty good without ever meaning to keep what I said. You know, you'd be sharing those stories with your buddies and you would say, I swear. Or, man, God forbid, we would say, I swear to God. Or, I swear on a stack of Bibles when I'm telling you is the truth. Or, or one of my all-time um, favorites was, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye. I am not lying to you. How many of you have ever shared that one with somebody? I mean, that's the ultimate. If you ever say that, that's like the double dog dare you. I mean, that is truth right there. Um, when I was, what I was doing is I was giving lip ser- service. You know, most of the time I never intended to keep my word, but boy, did it sound good when I threw in all of those different statements before I shared what it was that I was going to share. So there is a perception of the truth. Notice the second point this morning. There is the prescription for truth. Many people like to use this passage to say that we should never swear or that we should never make oaths. In fact, many people have refused to swear under oath as Christians because they claim this passage forbids them from doing so. And I want you to know, that is not what Jesus is telling us in this particular passage of Scripture. Um, In Romans 13.1, we read, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and, there, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Within a court of law, we are asked under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and it concludes with this, so help me God. 
You and I are commanded in Scripture to be subject to the governing authorities as long as what they are instructing us to do does not go against the Word of God. Taking an oath within a court of law is by extension submitting to God. So in a court of law, we are to tell the truth. Anything less than that is to commit perjury. If it was unbiblical for us to make vows then Jesus certainly would not have testified under oath that he was indeed the Son of God in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, verses 57 through 64, we read this account when Jesus was before the religious leader Caiaphas. It says this, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the country yard or the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward, and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, to tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In verse 63, this word adjure in the Greek means to force to an oath. So when Jesus was under oath, he was commanded by Caiaphas to testify whether or not he was the Christ. Paul frequently would swear his truthfulness to his readers. For example, in Romans 1, um, verses 9 and 10, we read, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God will I may God's will, I may know now at last succeed in coming to you. An oath is not a bad thing, but a person's oath can become like the boy who cried wolf. Unbelievable. Jesus concludes this passage of scripture in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, I've often heard people say that there was a day when a man's word meant something. Have you ever heard somebody say that? There was a day when a man's word meant something. Here is the problem. Just like you and I have a way of navigating around the truth, those of old found a way to navigate around the truth. The legalists of Christ's day, just like the legalists of our day, figured out a way to skirt God's law when it came to making vows. Instead of swearing by the Lord, which they were permitted to do, they swore by something that the Lord was directly linked to. They would swear, say, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by my head. Jesus makes it very clear that a person does not need to invoke the name of the Lord when making a vow, 
Because a Christian's word is binding regardless. A Christian's word is binding regardless. There is nothing under heaven by which you can swear by that will allow our word to be anything but binding. Jesus said in verses 33 or 34 through 37, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Everything under heaven has been created by God. Jesus um, says here, what we see is, do not think that we can justify our lives by, by, by swearing to something or someone other than God, because God created everything. He created the heaven, and Jesus said, for it is the throne of God earth, for it is his footstool. Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What Jesus is telling his disciples here and making it clear to the religious leaders of his day that you cannot get creative with your oaths, or you can get creative with your oaths all you want, but anything other than the truth is simply a lie. You know that, right? Anything other than the truth is a lie. We can get as creative as we want with our speech. But a lie is a lie regardless. Notice our final point this morning. It is this. There is the person of truth. Who is the person of truth? Who is the person of truth? Jesus. It's God the Father. The standard for our truthfulness is Jesus himself. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. We know that Jesus is the truth, and we know that Satan is the opposite of truth. He is the father of lies. We read in John 8, 44, Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies every single day. You and I are faced with a choice to live a truthful life or to live an untruthful life. Jesus said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. As I began our message this morning, um, I pulled a quote or a statistic. 91% of us lie regularly. I mean, think about that. Of those in this room, there are probably, if statistics are true, only two or three people in this room that does not lie. Okay? Probably that is a lie in and of itself. Because I'm sure that there is a white lie that you've said, or like I frequently do with my kids, I will give them the worst case scenario, and then I will say, I'm just kidding with you. Um, but that's still a lie, is it not? Whenever we tell them um, something that is not the truth and we try to skirt around the truth, and even if it's in a playful manner. So the reality is probably there um, at some point or another over the course of our week, all of us probably tell a lie. You know what that tells me? 
we have a real integrity problem in our churches, a real ethics problem in our world. Folks, if we want to change this world, it is going to start when you and I, as believers, live truthful lives. Several weeks ago, we went through Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and we talked about how we are the salt and the light of the earth. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. You and I are the salt and light of this world. We are the change agents. We are whom God has set apart to represent him on this planet during this particular time within human history to live lives of integrity, to live lives of truthfulness, to live lives that, lives that point people to Jesus, not people away from Jesus. We are his ambassadors, and if we are going to represent him well, then it is essential that we live truthful lives. That means there needs to be a clear difference between our lives and the lives of a non-believer. We should love our spouse men like Christ loves the church. We should train up our children to follow after God and pursue God. We should be people of honesty at our places of employment where we do not steal, we do not embezzle, we do not cook the books, we do not lie, we do not cheat. That goes for students at school. Do not cheat. We are to be honest with our tax returns. There should be a clear difference between us as believers and the world. Our speech should be different. Our oaths should be different. Our vows should be different. Everything about us should be different. Yes, there is an erosion of truth in our society today, but can you imagine what would happen if the 75% of Americans who actually claim to be evangelical Christians would actually begin to live lives of truthfulness, lives of integrity. Can you imagine what would happen to the society that we live in and the world that we live in? I'm reading a book right now called Shaped by the Gospel by Timothy Keller. In it, he makes this statement. He says, when we lie, our reputation is at that moment more fundamental to our sense of self and happiness than the love of Christ. Isn't that true? Most of us lie because of um, we're, we know that um, the truth will exp- expose us for who we really are. Our reputation is at that moment more fundamental to our sense of self and happiness than the love of Christ. The love of Christ should not take second place. Love of Christ should be the foremost part of our lives. And when we begin to live our lives sold out to Jesus, then guess what? We're going to be more truthful. We're going to be more people of integrity, and we're going to point more people to Jesus as opposed to away from Jesus. Jesus made it abundantly clear in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. If you are here this morning and you have never experienced God's grace, 
you never experienced God's love and God's mercy, then this morning I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever experience, and that is to experience the love of God. And here's the deal. Scripture is abundantly clear that when we become children of God, that as children of God, our lives are to look different and be different. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Within our old lives, we were liars, thieves, and cheats, and people that didn't practice integrity. But when we became new creations, a new creature in Christ, guess what? We became people of truth because we model truth, and that model is Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you've never experienced God's grace and God's love, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to profess Christ to be your Lord, profess him to be your Savior, to repent of your sins, and to call on him to save you. If you're here this morning and you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord is leading you to become a part of this faith family, we invite you to come. You know, I really believe that God's doing some amazing things right now at Friendship Baptist Church, and I'm so looking forward to what he's going to do in 2017. If you're looking for a church home, this is a great church. We'd love for you to be a part of this faith family. Let's stand together, and let's pray. And at the conclusion of this prayer, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. the privilege of opening up your word together this morning. Father, we know that there is a real erosion of truth that began back in the garden when Adam and Eve committed that first sin. And at that moment, this world began to spiral out of control. And Lord, there is an epidemic right now within our world. And Lord Jesus, we know that the only way for that epidemic to be eradicated, eradicated is through you. So I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit, Father, will just fall upon this place. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to each and every one of us, speak to me. If there's areas in my life, Lord, where I'm living a lie, expose that. Forgive me of that. If there are areas within the life of this faith family, Lord, where there are... Um, the lack of truth, Father, expose that to them so that they can get their lives right with you. Father, there are some that are visiting with us this morning, and that be the case with them, that they're living a lie instead of the truth. Expose that so that they can get right with you. Father, there's some here this morning that have never entered into a personal relationship with you. They've never repented of their sins and ask you to forgive them of those sins, and they've never cried out to you to be their Savior, and Lord, I pray that today will be the day that you will draw them unto salvation. Lord Jesus, just move during this time of invitation. Speak to each and every one of us, and Lord, may over the next few minutes be a time in which we can do business with you, or we will allow you to do business with us. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.